we live in this world now where everybody's tr like always so concerned about being right and being safe. I think that really is what's affected First Lady Jewelry in particular. There's always that very famous image of Jackie Kennedy wearing one single Schlumberger bracelet. And to me, that is an image that says everything because even though she was very fond of Schlumberger, she only ever wore one single piece. And I think that's very American. Welcome to If Jewels Could Talk. I'm Carol Walton, the voice of jewelry, an author, broadcaster, and the woman who initiated the role of jewelry editor at magazines like Tatler and British Vogue. This is a podcast for everyone, for people who do like jewellery, for people who don't realise they like jewellery, and anyone intrigued by fascinating facts, new ideas, and forgotten histories. So please join me as I tell sparkly tales, meeting all sorts of people, delving into four centuries of jewellery culture, and investigate what's happening now. Jewellery may be small, but it does a lot of heavy lifting in terms of messaging. And jewellery worn by First Ladies, whether in the White House or Elysee Palace, can make a subtle but powerful statement. But recently, at state occasions, have they looked quite glittering enough? That's what we're going to explore today. First Lady jewels, what they have looked like and what they should look like. I'm delighted to be joined by jewellery designer Francesca Amphitheatrov, who's brilliantly placed to look at jewellery style on both sides of the Atlantic, having been the first female design director of Tiffany in New York, and now in Paris, she is the artistic director of jewellery at Louis Vuitton. And Frank Everett is here with us, who's described as the Pied Piper of the New York jewellery scene. He has a vast knowledge of jewellery history, and there aren't many important jewels that haven't passed through his hands at some point in his role as Senior Vice President of Jewellery at Sotheby's in New York. Hello, Frank. I'm so happy you joined us today. Hi, Carol. So nice to see you. And where are you at the moment? You're in New York? I am in New York City, where I have been for a year. <laughs> And um, very happily so at the office since June. And Francesca, I'm so delighted you're here to join us too. Where are you at the moment? Thank you very much. I'm thrilled to be with you. I'm also in New York. Ah, you're not outside in Connecticut. I normally am in Connecticut, but today I'm in New York. Great. Well, we're going to talk about US style. So you're in the right place. And Frank, I wanted to ask you, how do you define what is American style and does it differ from French fine jewellery style? Do you think there's a big difference? I think there is, and I think a lot of it stems from fashion when we think about the true, what's truly American fashion is sportswear, right? So you go back to the mid-century and Bonnie Cashin and that kind of a thing, and I think there's a real outgrowth of that kind of sporty, wearable feel um, to American style. Uh, I think American women really get daytime jewelry right almost more than they get evening jewelry right because they're comfortable wearing it. And that's what I love. I love that. I like jewelry that's worn every day. So for me, American style is, I don't want to use the word casual because that's not really it, but it does stem from a more active life and a more wearable feel to the jewelry, if that makes sense. French fine jewellery was set by the Versailles Code, Marie Antoinette's time, around what was sort of suitable motifs to be used in fine jewellery. So do you think we've just, in Europe, we have that 
historic, aristocratic thing that jewelry has to be. Yes, I agree with that 100%. And I think it's split probably post-war, you know? So if you think about the great American families in the late 19th century that wore jewels, where did those jewels come from? Well, they started with Charles Louis Tiffany buying the French crown jewels. So I think the styles were completely similar up until a point. And again, I feel like it was that kind of post-war, mid-century moment where it really defined itself as an American style and set itself apart. And Francesca, you've got your European heritage, but you've been living in the States. You've been creative director of Tiffany, your creative director of the French fine jewelry brand Louis Vuitton. And so you're perfectly placed to sort of notice the difference. What's your view about French versus US? You know, there's always that very famous image of Jackie Kennedy wearing one single Schlumberger bracelet. And to me, that is an image that says everything, because even though she was very fond of Schlumberger, she only ever wore one single piece, not more, not two, not three. And I think that's very American is you do wear jewelry, but you just wear very few pieces, whereas European women, and especially aristocratically, they would wear jewelry as a sort of diplomatic kind of language, right? That everything had a symbolic meaning. And so there would be a lot of pieces layered one on, one on top of the other. And American women do not do that. And American women that are in the public eye would never do that. There is a restraint and therefore a different kind of elegance and therefore it's also more casual. So Frank, what do you say the daytime look is when you say American women are so good at daytime jewellery? I think, you know, like to echo Francesca, one great chunky gold bracelet, you know, and then maybe no earring, no necklace, or maybe it's just a great earring, even a drop that's kind of dramatic during the day and nothing else. I, I so agree with her about that one great piece. And then you never look, you never look too fussy, you know, it's, um, and it's just wearable. So to me, that kind of, that, that bracelet, to me, that's sort of the standalone thing. If you can get that one, I always tell women when they start out collecting, that is the first thing to go for. Even if it's unsigned, go for like a 40s or a 50s chunky gold bracelet. That's the, that's the building block that you never take off. There's a definitive White House style, isn't there? And I think a part, let's sort of leave the Trump administration out of it, I think. <laughs> but usually... With pleasure. First ladies go for pearls, don't they? Yeah, yeah. And Melania didn't. No, no. I think Kamala's bringing them back uh, to the White House. Pearls are very interesting and very... It's a complicated subject, I think, particularly with American ladies and the White House and when they're in vogue and, and when they are fall out of fashion. Uh, they're easy. I think there's something very egalitarian about a strand of pearls. I think, again, when cultured pearls became popular, every woman had a strand. So it became sort of a, a benchmark piece of jewelry. That was the, the, the first piece for most young women in America. Um, I don't know if that's the case necessarily in Europe, but you know, whether it was a 16th birthday gift or whether it had something to do with a confirmation 
connection at church or or a coming out or or college graduation that strand of pearls was very meaningful um they had a wonderful marketing tool in america to start with one pearl and each year on a little girl's birthday she got another pearl so that she would have a full strand when she reached womanhood so pearls are very um th there's a real emotional attachment to them uh when when i started thinking about this subject and first ladies in particular you know i've i've a long time bemoaned the fact that I think Barbara Bush actually hurt the pearl business a little bit because I've had so many women that do not want to look like Barbara Bush. It's as simply simple as that. They just say it's it's that's my mother's look. I don't want that. I I don't want to wear those pearls. And now that I'm older and my clients are older, I still have women that are maybe Barbara Bush's age that say, I don't want to wear pearls because I don't want to look like Barbara Bush. So that was a, a, a big impact, I think. But there's, you know, we, we all know there are many ways to wear pearls and there's the whole other end of the spectrum with, you know, the Chanel look and loading on the strands and all of that. So when I looked at it, I thought it goes right back to Mary Lincoln because Abraham Lincoln purchased a pearl necklace and bracelets from Tiffany for her to wear at his inauguration. And I wondered if that it sort of becomes political, that it's gone beyond style now and they're wearing it to pay respects to their predecessors and the continuity of democracy. Absolutely. One other thing about pearls is that they don't sparkle. They're not flashy, right? They're very understated and they just have that beautiful luster and they, um, they make a statement without speaking too too loudly. So I think that's part of the appeal of pearls as well. You you can just put them on and, and it's an easy thing to do without looking too flashy. Um, you know, one of the things that I did when we were preparing for the talk is I, I looked up the collection of, um, not the first lady, but the second lady, Happy Rockefeller, who was married to Nelson Rockefeller. And we sold her jewelry here at Sotheby's about five years ago. And she had the working collection that any woman in the White House should have. It was just, she had the right things for day. She had pieces with colored stones, some gold things, platinum and diamonds for evening just enough, not too much. It was really like a perfectly curated day and evening set of jewelry that she had. And it, her, one of her favorite um, fashion designers was Norman Norell. And his famous quote about Happy Rockefeller was, she will always look right. She really studied what she was doing and wore the right thing for the right occasion. So as the second lady, she really had what every first lady should have. And did you sell Jackie Kennedy's pearls? Sotheby's did, yes, before my time um, here. But uh, famously, her pearls, her triple strand that she was photographed in so often and that she wore, you know, there are two very famous pictures of, of many famous pictures of her, but two in those pearls. One, she's in just a little sleeveless shift, um, I think on a little sailboat with her son, who is about three years old, playing with the pearls. There's a very famous image of her. There's also a very famous image of her leaning over a dining table, lighting candles for a state dinner, where she's in a full ball gown, wearing the same triple strand of pearls. They were, uh, they were not real, they were simulated pearls, and they ended up selling for over $200,000 and then have been reproduced many, many, many thousands of times by the Franklin Mint and sold. So uh, they are iconic indeed, and they weren't even real. Were Barbara Bush's real? I think so, yeah. I think she probably had the, the, the big, cult, beautiful cultured pearls, those wonderful South Sea pearls, um, and I'm sure that they were real. It's funny that people in their head didn't think they were going to equate themselves looking like Jackie Kennedy rather than Barbara Bush. Well, very different though. Those big South Sea pearls on the yeah. short strand look very different to a nice long, you know, something that's yeah. longer with smaller pearls. 
And there's a big difference between a single strand and multiple strands. I mean, a huge difference. Definitely. And Francesca, what do you think about Kamala Harris's pearls that she's worn to every significant event so far in her career? Because they seem to have quite a, they signal something more significant, I think, than just a normal strand of pearls. Well, I mean, I do think that pearls are very, very demure. You know, there's always something that is just, you know, not taking a position or offensive or sexy or, you know, or, 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 or about a, a type of femininity. So you can still appear to be very serious and very in control. And, uh, you know, I sort of find I, I wish that women in politics wore jewellery a little bit more, you know, with a little bit more excitement around it. And I think that there's a lot more that can be done uh, within jewellery and with celebrating jewellery in women of power. Um, but, you know, Kamala has her lovely pearls and obviously, you know, it's part of her sorority and everything else. And, and that is, you know, that's what she sort of, you know, narrates with them. But, um, you know, it's all very, very safe. Did you wear them watching her being sworn in as vice president? A lot of women wore pearls in solidarity with her, didn't they? I, I didn't. I have to honestly say I did not. Nor did I mean, I. I'm very, very excited that we have Kamala as vice president, but I did not wear pearls. But I think you're right um, when you say that they're innocuous and safe, because I think, you know, in the 80s in, in England, Margaret Thatcher stuck to pearls. And I think you know, in a way, it was so, as you say, a sort of inoffensive facade that she could hide her strengths behind. It wasn't too challenging. Do you think diamonds are too sexy and challenging for um, women in political arena? Um, I do, actually. I really do. I think that they are, in particular in America, I think that diamonds have, you know, a, a very specific um, reflection of wealth because the way diamonds are worn in America, it's always the stud, it's always the pendant, it's just about the stone, it's about the size and the cut, and it doesn't really include design or flair. So I think that there is a very strong relationship to wealth with diamonds, and I think that they sometimes can be very distracting, especially in women that are focusing really on the content of what they're saying and what they're including and bringing to the conversation. So I think that it's, you know, and especially in daytime. And so in a daytime situation, I think that there could be a much more, a stronger connection for evening to be wearing diamonds and to be supporting the jewellery industry and the jewellery houses. But I think that for daytime, I would not. I just think they'd be distracting in a way. So what, in the US, do you think diamonds are for movie stars, pearls are for the first ladies? Yes. And diamonds are very much for, you know, for the camera and for the photo. And you have to, you know, you, you, you come across and you give something else. No, don't you think? I mean, you want to come across and make a different impact. I agree. And I think, too, in the age of social media and transparency, you know, if you go back to the Jackie Kennedy White House, she could have gone to a state dinner and worn some beautiful diamond drops. And there might not even have been a picture run in the newspaper or anywhere of that evening, you know? So it's almost like it's private, even though it's not. Now, obviously, there would be, you know, thousands of pictures within the hour on 
social media and then everybody would be trying to figure out where they came from and how much they cost and what the, the what was spent on them and you know there were a little bit of that I think with the Reagan years Nancy Reagan took a lot of heat for the amount of money she spent on fashion not so much on jewelry but on on gowns and 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 the state dinners and flowers and things like that so you've got to be sensitive to that you know the uh, American politicians are meant to be of the people you know and I, I think um, that's that's an important thing to reflect when you're when you're there. That said, I do think there should be a way for them to wear jewelry and help the industry, you know, have kind of a, a working loaning library, if you will, or something so that uh, women in the White House uh, could wear these pieces and help promote a, a very big and important business. Michelle Obama did that a little, didn't she? She chose particularly young designers and sort of championed US designers. Yeah, she did. And she it, she appeared to have fun doing it. And that's what was so wonderful is that she had the uh, the power and the poise to wear pieces and they didn't take away from her they didn't detract and i think that that showed you know so much confidence and you need to have a sort of a, a grandeur or a or a, or a or a way to carry them off and she did she did with fashion and she did with jewelry and i think that she did it in a way that really complemented and helped a lot of designers but do you think now i'm i'm quite interested in um, as you said, everyone's sort of Googling when somebody wears something, they're looking it up. And we've become sort of obsessed by the political messaging, by what people are wearing. This really started in the States, I think, probably with Madeleine Albright and when she said, read my pins, and she changed pins according to what was happening. And now we have it now every time the Queen steps out in a different brooch, everyone's trying to disseminate what she means by wearing that particular brooch. I mean, do you think this is, it's got too sort of loaded with symbolism, Frank? Um, is it too politicized? I don't think so. I, I like it. Again, you know, I, I, I promised myself when we were going to speak today, all roads would not lead back to Jacqueline Kennedy, but it's hard not to when you're talking about first lady style. But she was obviously a, a master again in fashion, working with Oleg Cassini to design dresses that fit occasions, particularly when she was traveling or when she was welcoming people from other parts of the world, she would honor their culture or their or their traditions um, in that way. And I love it. I love what Madeleine Albright did. I love the guessing game with the queen and wearing the brooches. And I think, why shouldn't you make statements and, and um, use the jewelry especially to, um, I mean, in the case of the Queen of England, she's got many options to, to, to use, right, to, uh, to send messages. But yeah, I think it's a great idea. Why not? Well, the Queen always used her sort of thematically. You know, if she was visiting Canada, the diamond maple leaf brooch would come out. But I think post, post um, Nancy Pelosi, post Lady Hale over here wearing her big spider over the parading of Parliament, I think now everyone's reading into everybody's it's called sort of brooch warfare you have to look and see what the, see what the brooches are saying do you think actually people know their politics they know what they stand for and they'd rather know about the woman yeah i think so i think that we we've, we've, we've sort of become uh, a little bit too flat in expecting everybody to conform to, you know, to a sort of a perfect notion that we have of being uh, unpersonal, right? Of putting forward so so much how how women now enter into this field, they do so with so much trepidation. And in a way, 
you know, I, I always kind of have this story in my head, which you know, I wondered what would have happened if, you know, uh, John Kennedy hadn't been assassinated, Marilyn Monroe hadn't died, uh, John divorces Jackie and marries Marilyn, and Marilyn Monroe becomes the first lady. She comes into the White House and she really, really tries to get it all absolutely perfectly correct. But of course, she doesn't, and she gets it all a little bit wrong. And she leans on her movie stardom and, of course, is just, you know, the clothes are a bit too much and the jewellery is too sparkly and there are too many diamonds. And wouldn't that be so great, you know, because this idea of always having to conform and always having to be just on the right side of cautious is so dull. And, you know, when women enter into political fray, they do have to be even more careful about everything they say and they do and the tone and the volume and the eyes and, you know, the pauses. It's very, very tricky. So wouldn't it be wonderful if we'd had Marilyn just getting it all wrong, but just be so fabulous? You need to start writing that screenplay, Francesca. That's that is a fabulous concept. (laughs) And what would she have worn? Okay, in the fantasy, in your your White House fantasy, what would Marilyn have worn? Versace. Harry Winston every day, that's for sure. Loads. Lots and lots. And, you know, and also it's that period of wonderful American design where it was bold and beautiful and there was, you know, verdura and, you know, flatto and all these great designers creating incredible pieces for women that really were made to be stars, right? You know, just a glimpse of that, you know, of, of, of a look for Marilyn Monroe was just, you know, phenomenal. So in complete contrast, when we look at the French first ladies, there is no jewellery, is there? Well, it's very tricky because a French first lady doesn't quite have the position of an American first lady. An American first lady has an office and a cause and a team and staff, and they are... They have a position. A French first lady doesn't really have an official position. She's a consort. And it's, it's, it's a little bit harder to know where to position yourself. And so I think that that's just as, as a starting point, a little bit different. You know, at the same time, you're in the center of elegance and, you know, of both fashion and jewelry and you have the best jewelers and you have all of Place Vendôme that you could support and celebrate on an international scale. So I wish there was more of that because I think that there is, you know, these maisons in Place Vendôme that are so unique and phenomenal and they, you know, they could really bring that to the forefront in such an incredible way. And don't you think it looks rather sad when you see Madame Macron turning up at some glittering state banquet and she is not glittering? Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a real missed opportunity. And I think that there is a, a, an amazing opportunity, right, to use that as a platform. But even like you say, you know, even if it's brooches, even if it's, you know, using it as a kind of a, 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 a currency, but not a currency as a monetary, as in diplomatic, um, there could be so much that could be celebrated about this incredible history of jewellery making that Paris has. Do you think they're fearful of being fashion forward or the criticism of smacking of elitism? What do you think it is? I think that some people are a little bit afraid of 
jewelry to start with. And they're a little bit afraid of elitism and they're a little bit afraid of outshining. And again, it's going to be, you know, the comments that would fly, you know, the next day in the world that we live in. So weird, isn't it? Because when you think of someone like Catherine the Great, she said, unless she had all her diamonds on, nobody would know who she was (laughs) when she walked into a room. So there is that thing. If you're going to be a first lady, don't you want to kind of announce it? What do you think, Frank? Well, I think that's true. And I think jewellery in general either requires or inspires confidence. I say that all the time, you know, and not not everyone is comfortable with it. Uh, what, one, of the, one of my least favorite things is when I hear clients just say, well, I'm just looking for just something really simple, really just like, just that I can put on and never take off every day. Like, okay, that's fine, but you need more. You know, you do need to mark occasions and set a tone with, with jewelry. And it's, I don't know if you can, you just have to develop the confidence. I think if you wear it um, intentionally, the confidence will come, but it's um, it's not the easiest thing for everyone just to put on, you know, a big dramatic earring or three, you know, stack up three bracelets on a wrist. We talk about it all the time, like it's nothing because we love it so much and it's what we do. But not every, you know, there are a lot of women that are just going to like be distracted by that all day or just feel like they're not they're not in their own skin. So I think that's what it takes is um, confidence and time and um, repetition before it starts to feel right for you. So what would you advise um, Madame Macron? What would you start her with? What would be her starter piece? Well, I think a pair of diamond earrings is kind of just important. They don't have to be huge diamonds, but something more than just a diamond stud that just drops a little bit, a little tiny bit of movement, a little sparkle. And I'm I'm not, again, they don't have to be big diamonds. Um, and it doesn't have to be a big dramatic drop, but something to bring life to the to the face. You know, that's what that's what earrings are there to do, and to sort of highlight you and not take away from you, but but um, enhance. And I think that's to me that's one of the most important places to start. And for evening, you'd be amazed at, at what um, an impact that has. Again, even a small stone. Um, just set down on a little wire that's just going to move a little bit in the light and catch the light, and uh, suddenly you're you're transformed. And it's fairly democratic in a way that, you know, even the tiniest chip of a diamond has that sparkle, and it's something most people can relate to, and most people have a piece of jewellery. I don't think it sort of takes them into almost the sort of role of being a monarch or being regal. I think it's something that most people can relate to, don't you? Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And I think um, it's, uh, again, because we live in this world now where everybody's tr- like always so concerned about being right and being safe. I think that really has what, is what's affected First Lady Jewelry in particular, because again, I was going back through my old catalogs. We sold a few years ago a collection of Mamie Eisenhower, you know, not necessarily recognized as a great icon of style, but she had some really beautiful jewelry, lots of diamond jewelry. She wore diamond brooches. She had wonderful diamond earrings from Cartier. Uh, She had some great things in that collection. And uh, it was just, again, a different time. She wasn't held to the same standards. She wasn't scrutinized in the same way. And, um, you know, a, a black and white picture in the newspaper from a distance is not going to highlight the jewelry the way it is now. And I just think it's all part of the careful nature that people have now about the way they present themselves. In a way, the red carpet, even when you look at Hollywood and what the red carpet has done uh, to uh, actresses in terms of having stylists and really going that safe route for the for a few years, maybe about 10 years ago, it was like every woman on the red carpet looked the same. You know, she just had sort of that same simple 
solid slip dress with a nice little Harry Winston diamond earring and done. Nobody wanted to look too fussy, too colorful, too bright. Everybody wanted to be perceived as being sort of elegant and right. It's different now. Things are changing and stylists are branching out, which is a good thing. But I think women in politics are very, very careful. So you think really globally we have the same issues? Definitely. Yeah. Maybe, Francesca, you know, going in your movie fantasy, maybe it's all the mistresses are getting the jewellery and not the first ladies. I think that's very much the case. There's a big industry around that. But I suppose we haven't had glamour since sort of Carla Bruni in France, really. Yeah, but Carla Bruni was also so, in a way, uh, a little bit forced, I always found. I found that it was kind of uh, play acting, you know, when she visited the Queen in London and she had her jaw, you know, tailleur. It was sort of a little bit, you know, too, too, uh, too forced. And I think that actually, you know, I think cautiously first ladies could enter into the jewelry arena, like Frank said, with a pair of earrings or a ring, but something symbolic, something that has a story. And I think that's what's so wonderful about royal jewelry. There is a story behind it. And unlike clothes where, you know, they at the end of the day, they're kept, jewelry can be borrowed and given back and, and it can be used as a stage to highlight different things. And, you know, also to highlight, you know, uh, uh, the provenance and, you know, the way, the way some materials are treated. And I think that, you know, Madame Macron obviously has had, you know, two, three years with the Gilles Lejeune and then now with, you know, COVID and lockdown where it's not been very easy. But I think that going forward, it would be really wonderful if there was this sort of relationship between jewelry houses and and first ladies, whether in America or in France. I remember when I was at Tiffany, we were asked by a publication to design jewelry for Hillary Clinton. And we went all out, right? Because it was like a fantasy, this idea that we were potentially going to make some pieces for the inauguration. And we were all very, very excited. And lo and behold, it all went out the window. Um, but it was interesting. It was a very interesting exercise to do because, of course, we went completely over the top. Uh, but it was so fun to be able to be part of an historical moment. And these are always historical moments. And I think that jewellery, because it's timeless and because of the power it has, you know, has got a great role to play in those moments. What did you design for her? Oh, this huge, fantastic necklace. You know? <laughs> Made of? We actually had pearls and diamonds both did she get to see it no i don't think so i think it was traumatic time <laughs> i think it just wasn't even a consideration i think she you know and 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 for us as well it was a traumatic time because of course we wanted something that totally didn't happen and and of course you know it it wasn't at all our, our intention to design with melania in mind yes of course and Melania didn't really wear any jewellery, did she? No, she really didn't. And she didn't even support American fashion that much at all. So, you know, it was a very odd time because there wasn't that relationship even with designers and supporting designers and the industry. And, you know, that there really is. I mean, it really is such a huge uh 
um, incredible opportunity that, you know, people that are in the public eye so much can have to the industry. Yeah, I think one of the things that was so amazing about Michelle Obama's style, too, is that those clothes may have been given or borrowed from all these designers, American young designers, but they always look like things that she would have chosen. They always look like her style. They always look like her. And I think that is an important thing too, right? So you're going to develop your own style while you're still supporting young designers or American designers. And that I think is remarkable that she really did that. But I, I still think there's a place for important jewelry at certain state occasions um, in the White House, and they could be loaned. You know, I, I think if it were clear that things were on loan and not owned, that maybe uh, it would be more palatable the way it is at the Oscars, you know, that you know a young actress maybe didn't buy her own necklace, but she's just wearing it for the evening. And I, I just still think, yeah, there should be more important jewelry in the evening on special occasions. So maybe countries should have a national collection that they build up that is there available to be worn on these occasions just for their tenure of office. Yeah, or, or relationship with different houses that are happy to loan pieces and, you know, that can be insured for different occasions. I mean, these occasions have such important, you know, uh, people who attend and are very, very secure that I think that this could easily happen. But would a big fine jewellery house... Francesca, then worry about the politics of the person who is wearing their piece? Yes. I mean, that's to take, be taken into consideration, absolutely. But I think, that, um, I think that there's a possibility that there are these relationships and they exist as they do for fashion. It's still the same. I mean, if, if there is a relationship between uh, that particular person who is in, in uh, the presidency at that time and there's a relationship that is real, absolutely. I think it could happen. Yeah, I do too. I don't see why they couldn't assemble just from some of the great American houses, like a working set of jewelry, a trunk of, of loaned jewelry that could last the four or eight years, however long the administration was in there, and help promote. And it can be just you know great wearable daytime pieces that are not going to send too much of, a, of an elitist message, but just look good. And help the industry. Oh, sorry. I was I was onto tiaras that you could then display in the White House in a particular oh, room. Oh, wow, wow, okay. wow! That's another story. Do they have a ballroom in the White House? I don't think they do. <laughs> <laughs> no, no ballroom. I'm sure that um, there's there's space. Yeah, I'm sure there is. But I think the etiquette of when you can wear a tiara is very particular. I'm not quite sure that in America that would translate that well. So what would you what would what's the first thing you would put in a national collection, Francesca? Well, I think that, you know, individual pieces, exactly that. I don't think it would need to be a full peru or, you know, earrings, necklace, bracelets and rings. I don't think that's what's really so much the case right now. But I think individual pieces that you could wear for state occasions could be wonderful. Right. So you could have some beautiful rings and you could also have stones that come, you know, from that have a, a symbolism to, you know, like you did with the Tiffany historically, that are stones that were discovered by the house, like a Tanzanites or pieces that are in, in the Smithsonian Institute that, that, you know, are the same mineral and crystal. And therefore, that there's a historical 
connection to the to the country. I think that's what's important is that there needs to be a narrative that the jewelry can, you know, be there for a reason. And I think that's what aristocracy did so well. And like you say, the queen wears certain pieces on state occasions because there's a meaning. And that's when it's interesting. That's when it's beautiful. That's when it can be worn with a, a raison d'etre that has meaning. And I think that that's what jewelry does so, so well. And, and so I think that you could really choose pieces individually carefully and they could become in a sort of a, a wonderful way to, to bring diplomacy and to bring culture to everyone. That's very, very well said. I also think that, um, there's a thirst for it, which is why people are trying to decipher what people are wearing. And I think the fact is there were headlines when people got a tiny glimpse of Jill Biden's mama necklace popping out. of the. She didn't even mean to show it, I don't think. And everyone went crazy for this mama necklace because I think it is that sort of mark, that identity, that marker of who you are. And people really love that, don't they? Definitely, they do. And it's, again, it's so personal. I mean, I, I, I say here at Sotheby's all the time, we're lucky to work in the, what I think is the most personal um, property that we sell. It marks occasions and it's worn on the body and it has so much meaning. And I think um, we're, we are hungry for that. We do, it, it's some, it's a little glimpse into um, the person, you know, to, to see what choices they made and what message might be be sent through the jewelry. So I think it's very important. I mean, even Lady Gaga's dove brooch, you know, was so fabulous. So imagine if that hadn't been there. I mean, you know, it would have just the, 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 the amount of optimism that that brought at that moment. It was just so, so wonderful. It was very powerful, wasn't it? Yeah. So do you think post this period, this pandemic period, do you think there will be uh, a more optimistic feeling to actually dress up and to to for us to wear what we own and go out there and and look fantastic and dress up? Absolutely. I mean, come on, there's a limit to, you know, how much kind of elasticated waistband <laughs> and slip-on Uggs. No, no, I mean, Uggs are super comfortable. But I'm just saying we, I think everyone's dying to put on some high heels and, and makeup and go dancing. I mean, really, really. I know that we all say we all love working from home, but sod that. I think we all are dying to be together and to be celebratory and to live culture. You know, we have yeah. been bereft of culture for over a year. It's, you know, it's incredible how much, you know, the love of just being around beautiful con concepts of the imagination just feeds us. And and fashion is such a reflection of, of who we are and what we feel that I think we're all desperate for some sparkly diamonds to be showered over us <laughs> and to really enjoy it and go out and celebrate. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And I also think people are going to be so excited to get back in shops again. I, I think in-person shopping and one-on-one -on -one relationships with the, the, the house and the person that you work with are going to be more important than ever. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that when we get back to it, which, you know, maybe late this year, maybe not till next year. But whenever it happens, I think there will be a, a strong swing in the direction of doing everything in person because we've been on these devices so much.
And what are we going to wear? Everything at one time. <laughs> It's going to be on. like Christmas every day when it's always a little bit too much. So what will the trend be, Francesca? What should we expect? I, I just think we just are going to be seduced by beauty and by craftsmanship, right? Really, the idea of beautifully made pieces, whether it's a handbag or a heel or a necklace or a hat, the idea that there are artisans still you know, uh, that uh, we haven't had, we haven't touched these things, you know, that we have been starved of them. So I think that we're going to want utter beauty and craftsmanship and incredible textures and colors and just things that feel gorgeous on and high, high heels. <laughs> Frank, what do you think people are going to be buying? I think Francesca's on the right track for sure. And that it's going to be in my opinion, about one-off pieces, bespoke things, really special. And I don't mean just, you know, grand, expensive, high jewelry things, but just craftsmanship, artisanship, a, a return back to handmade things. Um, I, I think uh, vintage pieces especially will continue to do well uh, because of the history and the romance uh, attached to them. But um, yeah, I think it's just going to be about unique things and not so much getting something that's in fashion that everybody has, but, but maybe making a little bit of a personal statement in your choices. Yeah, and I think color, I think colored stones. I think colored stones are gonna have a huge moment. I think that people want to have, want to feel happy and good. And I think color is just so seductive. So I think that people will be wearing bigger pieces and making bigger statements. And, and, and as you said, very, very personal. So we're all going to aim to be Marilyn Monroe in the White House. That's the look. Good, good goal. That's going to be our mantra. <laughs> okay, you heard it here first. <laughs> Francesca, thank you so much for sharing your secret movie and your <laughs> thoughts about jewellery. And Frank, thank you so much for being here and sharing your vast knowledge about jewellery with us. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes of If Jewels Could Talk, please go to our website, carolwilton.com slash podcasts. And if you liked it, please share it any way you can. You'll find us on Instagram where you can view images of the jewellery we talk about. And please subscribe to the podcast feed on any of the usual platforms where you find your podcasts, where we'd love a rating and a comment. Please join us again in two weeks for the next Jeweled Nugget, when I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Kate Williams. We'll take an in-depth look at the jewels of Mary Queen of Scots. We'll be talking about Kate's book, Rival Queens, The Betrayal of Mary Queen of Scots, and we'll be talking about her rosary beads that were recently stolen from Arundel Castle. Join us then. Goodbye. If Jewels Could Talk with Carol Walton is produced by Natasha Callan, music and editing by Tim Thornton, graphics by Scott Bentley, illustration by Geordie Labanda, and you can find me on Instagram at Carol Walton. <laughs>